0: Welcome to This Human Life with the Philosophical Coach. I'm thrilled to have you tuning in. I'm your host, Sam Kugathus, aka the Philosophical Coach, philosopher, hume expert, and high performance coach. This podcast, at its core, is about navigating the complexities of being human, whilst providing you the opportunity to go beyond any conception of who you think you are, really. Inside of the freedom that comes from not being attached to figuring out your true purpose or who you are, is an opening for creating a life free from constraint. If that intrigues or excites you, then you're definitely in the right place. The ideas are drawn from neuroscience, philosophy, my coaching practice, working with elite leaders and experience. You can expect candor, humor, vulnerability and ideas which are unfamiliar to you and some you may just plain disagree with. You'll also get the opportunity to hear from inspiring coaches and leaders. Now let's get ready to question what we know. In today's episode, I dive into the language we use around mental health and the impact this has for people globally. The perspective that I bring to this has come from my own lived experience and my research into the workings of the mind. and My perspective has shifted around this to an unquantifiable degree, and that's why I'm so keen to share what I have discovered. If you've ever felt depressed or anxious or described your mental health as poor, then you're going to want to listen closely. The intention is to offer a new way of thinking about mental health, which gives people more power over their experience and with it, their quality of life. What I've seen over and over again is the critical role that our perception of reality plays in impacting and influencing our experience of what we bracket as mental health. What I will explore here is how our perception of reality can alter our perception of mental health. Let's take the idea of depression. What creates the reality? I'm going to suggest that there are several contributing factors. First, there's a kind of shared feeling that people associate with depression. These feelings tend to be present independently of whether a person goes to a doctor or clinic to be diagnosed for clinical depression, or whether they just feel that way, and feel that way for a period of time. If you look at medical prescriptions like that of the NHS in the UK, for when a person should start to consider they might have depression, It's when the symptoms last for more than two weeks. Now, I find this fascinating. So in my case, there was a period of time where the symptoms didn't just last for two weeks. They lasted for two years. And I didn't go to a doctor. Now, maybe you might think that was a mistake. I should have gone to a doctor. But here's what I want to say. I didn't go to a doctor, and yet my experience started to alter once I was given access to looking at depression from a different perspective. The impetus for this came from a conversation with my brother. I was telling him, Nathan, I think I have depression. And he asked me a question which nobody had ever asked me before. Where is it? And it stunned me. Because it's not the question that we ask. We just take it for granted that we have it. We take it for granted that it's real. It's almost like this tangible thing. It's like, I've got depression now. I'm always going to have depression. I'm always going to be dealing with depression. There might be times when I'm not dealing with depression, but depression is always going to come back because depression effectively is something which has become part of people's identity. I think this is a mistake. There are times when we have ebbs and flows. We have ups and downs, and it's part of being human. But there is something almost dangerous, it seems to me, about wanting to locate it all in terms of a reality which is true. We have depression. What we like as humans is familiarity. We like to cling on to ideas which give us more sense of connection with others. Depression is, I think, one of them. Lots of people experience depression. And because lots of people are living within the space of having this feeling and we've been told that this is what the feeling is called, then this is what we have. And then that becomes a truth. This becomes a vicious cycle. where once we have that feeling, there's something wrong with us. And the thing wrong with us is called depression. But is that actually true? Is there a reality to this idea that we have depression? Now, I'm not going to deny that there are things going on within the brain. I could say that there are neural pathways firing in a different way when those feelings are present. We can almost take that picture for granted. In a way, I think it's irrelevant. What's going on in the brain is just what's going on in the brain. Whether or not you want to talk about dopamine levels or chemical imbalances, whether you want to talk about something else is irrelevant because there is so much agreement about this reality called depression. That we get sucked into thinking it's real and it's true. It gives us a sense that there's something wrong with us. And I'm not coming here from a place of just having lived in a space of happy clappy, no problems. No, absolutely not. I come to this from a place where there have been many times where my mental health, my mindset, was at its very lowest ebb. There were times where I thought, what's the point of continuing? But the thought was not continued with, now let me go and do something to end it. Now all of these thoughts are just thoughts, none of them have a reality in and of themselves. We have so many thoughts. We have something like 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day. That's insane. If you put your thoughts on loudspeaker, we would all be diagnosed as insane. Now, depression is one idea, there are so many different kinds of diagnosis with people could medically get and being offered a diagnosis could be something really reassuring because it allows a person to have language to make sense of their experience or a diagnosis could be something which makes people feel more alone what is going to make a difference is what they make that experience mean what's going to make the difference is whether or not being told that they have that makes it more real or makes them feel more at home If you're told, for instance, that you have a borderline personality, then that could be something where you go, ah, that explains what's going on. By the same token, it could be something which freaks you out and makes you think you are less whole than you are. Neither is true. All they are is a perspective on how we take in information which is given to us. And this then creates the reality that we have. There's also something really striking about the terminology which is used. And I think the terminology is really dangerous because it creates a sense that something's wrong with this person. Just the word disorder. There's something fundamentally wrong when there is a disorder. We see it as chaos. If that was the case, then imagine how that person's life looked if they felt that what they're experiencing is constant chaos. There is something not the way it should be. There is something not the way it should be about them. So here I want to suggest a thought. And I suggest that not in a pernicious way, not in a critical way, not in a way of denigrating people's experience, but just to see if it could make a difference, whether it would alter the way things start to look. Consider for a moment that everything is made up of our thoughts and our feelings. The philosopher David Hume argued that every idea has a corresponding impression. An impression is a feeling or a sentiment which is attached to it. And that feeling or sense or picture that we create is what creates the idea. We create the idea of a table, for instance, because we've come into a society which languages flat objects with four legs as tables. We have over time formed a picture of what a table is. And from that picture, we then interpret flat objects with four legs as tables. What lies behind this language is agreement within society as to what constitutes a table. There is a similarity when it comes to mental health and mental health conditions as well. There's less agreement, but there is still some agreement. There are certain symptoms which lead us to ascribe that this is a version of condition A, B, C, D. Now, I wanna bring this back to the idea of language of disorder, where the reality of disorder is based on the agreement to, to have this disorder, is to have certain features, certain symptomology. I'm not going to rule out that there may be occasions where this could be helpful or useful, because it's possible to conceive of this language being helpful or useful for someone. As a general rule, however, I believe the language is really harmful. The language is harmful because we create this sense of not being at one with ourselves, and we are somehow different than we should be, and there's something wrong with us. But imagine for a moment, that just in the way that we made up the idea of a table we made up the idea of a disorder as something which has a reality but can you touch a disorder can you physically hold it no so what's the basis for its reality it seems to be belief a belief that something is real and if enough people believe it's real then we create a sense that that's, then that's then we create a sense that that's true Imagine a friend or relative came to you and told you I've got this particular disorder and instead of following the habitual patterning of standard societal responses, like, I'm so sorry to hear that. Are you okay? You said the following, how do you know that's true? Imagine that this was not actually the case and this is just what you've been told and the fact that someone told you does not make it true in the same way. The fact that someone told you that you're stupid does not make it true. I can imagine someone being quite angry. They might be critical of you. They might feel like you're denigrating denigrating their experience. So again, it's important to say that this is not about denigrating people's experience. The experience is the experience. The feelings are the feelings. The limitations are for people real in the sense that they are experienced as real. There is, however, a separate question as to whether it has a reality beyond someone's perception of reality beyond their perception that the diagnosis is true as a matter of fact. That's where I think it's healthy to be skeptical. It's healthy to actually consider whether this was the case. And here it's pertinent to how my thinking about facts was shaped by David Hume. Matters of fact are all in the realm of probability. But probability is not truth. Anything in which we can conceive of an alternative suggests an an alternative is possible. And so here I invite you to consider, what would that allow us if we were to think that this is just something someone's told me? I get a choice. I get a choice about what I make that mean about myself. I can say, okay, this is what I have, or I can actually reject it. I can say, you know what? I'm actually amazing, perfect, whole and complete, just as I am. There's nothing wrong with me. What's wrong? is the idea that there's something wrong with you. That's the paradox. That's the paradox that we're stuck in when we feel or we take on the idea that there's something wrong with us. And don't worry, I fell into this trap many times before. I used to ask myself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this done if everyone else can? I'd written the handbook for how to fall into the trap of comparing yourself to others. I am no different to you. I've simply become awake to the paradoxes through which we live and it's only we don't get that there's a paradox that we feel there's something wrong. The problem is, for some people, the paradox might be occurring constantly and they're not privy to it. They're not getting to look from a bird's eye perspective at the joke that we're all being consistently part of. If every thought we had was real, then we would have a more dysfunctional society than we already perceive that it be. But yet we see beauty, joy, gratitude, and all these beautiful things everywhere if we choose to look. Perception, the perception of selves, is merely the frame of reference which we are looking through. And if we've created something as true, then that really makes it difficult to alter the frame of reference. It creates a blindfold or visor over our field of vision from which we perceive the world and which we perceive ourselves. And that's where the problem lies. It's not a problem with us. It's a problem of not being privy to the paradox. We take some thoughts as real and others as inconsequential. One way to describe this is this. We have a thought and then we reflect upon it. And when we reflect upon a thought enough, we tend to judge it to be real. Just by reflecting upon something for enough time though, doesn't actually make it real. We might become more secure that that's the case, but we might still be mistaking. And here I wanna bring this back to depression and how this relates to and constrains identity. When you feel depressed and yet you have people around you who are thriving, it's saying that there's something wrong with you and others don't have to experience this. Others are fine, others are doing great, others lucked out in life, They didn't get the wrong genes. I got the wrong genes. And because I got the wrong genes, that means I can't be who I wanted to be. I can't be the person that I wanted to be when I was growing up as a kid. But what if that wasn't true? What if it had just become such a repetitive pattern in our way of thinking that you had decided that that was true? You had decided, I am depressed. And I am depressed becomes a statement of fact about who you are. It becomes an unshakable aspect of who you are. The boxer Tyson Fury is an interesting and I think inspiring model around mental health. But there's one thing about Fury's journey which I question. And again, I'm not coming from a medical point of view here. I'm coming from an experiential point of view, from my own experiences of times when I would say I was depressed. Fury thinks about depression as something which is incurable. It's something that once you have, you will always have it. And the very well-known therapist, Marissa Peer, talks about this. She talks about the fact that most of her patients aren't depressed. They're suppressed or repressed. Now, what was most fascinating about what Marissa Peer had to say about depression and anxiety was that essentially the number one factor of people who are depressed is that they believe it cannot be fixed. And if they believe it could be fixed, they don't believe it could be fixed for them. So other people, There's an opportunity to no longer live with depression, but for them, no. It's always going to be there. It's just part of their genetic makeup or their psychology. What I've done in this podcast is to invite you to consider whether the reality and certainty we create around our mental health is true as a way for you to create more power and freedom in this area of life. And here, Based on my own experience, I've questioned how we standardly think about depression. Obviously, there's medical research and there's scientific research, which which creates a reality around how we understand this idea of depression. But what, from an alternative way of thinking, we might not think about, unless it's presented to us, is whether or not this medical and scientific way of thinking is actually the best way forward. It's whether it's actually serving us to deal with, to prevent, and to reduce the longevity of the symptoms which we associate with this phenomenon we call depression. So how can we do that? Well, I'm going to say language is important again. If I say I am depressed, the I am becomes a part of my identity. By contrast, imagine that this was an occurrence state of being. Rather than saying, I am depressed, I merely, I occur depressed. If something's only an occurrence, then we can be mistaken, and it can be temporary. And now when you're looking at this for yourself, what I invite you to ask is this. If I say I am depressed, do I see this as a temporary state, or as fixed? Is this something which I have a choice over, or is this something which I have to manage? These questions can give you access to the way you're currently thinking around your mental health. And if you want to create power around your mental health, then act from you being the driver of your health and not at the effect of it. And if you want to overcome depression or anxiety, then stop seeing it as something you have and start thinking of it as an occurrent and temporary state of being. You can create power around every aspect of your being And if you have a thought that this is not possible then ask yourself how would i even know if that thought was true if you cannot answer then give up being right and certain when you do that you will start to free yourself and your mental health will improve whether you're a relative veteran of this podcast or a new listener i really thank you for taking the time to listen And if you've got value from this podcast, then it would mean the world to me if you rate and review it on Apple or Podchaser and share it with your community so that this work can impact more people. Because I'm on a mission to help people live a life free from constraints. And if you're ready to take this from information to transformation, then connect with us at thephilosophicalcoach.com.